Well, good morning, University of Northwestern. It's good to see you. I feel really far away from you today. Maybe that has something to do with the giant pit that is in the floor. So here's, here's the deal. Um, my pact with you is that I will do my best to not make today memorable for falling in here today. All right? I'm going to do, I'm going to try. I move around a lot. I'm going to do my best. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to start with a quick survey today. There are two kinds of people in the world, and we're going to find out which kind uh, we are. All right? There's Chipotle people, and there are Qdoba people. By a show of hands, who are Chipotle people? Okay? Who are Qdoba people? Okay. They both have... They both have their positive attributes. We are now a campus divided on this topic. I'm going to bring us back together, okay? Here's what they both have in common. They both have chips. And I think that both of their chips are really good. I've opened a can of worms here, I realize this. Bear with me, I have a point. Here's what they have in common with their chips. In every bag, in every bag, there is one chip to rule them all. Do you know the chip that I'm talking about? It's not always on top, but at some point in the bag of chips, you get to that one golden chip that has extra lime and extra salt. That chip is magical, my friends. You're feeling this, right? You're feeling this. You're with me. That chip is magical. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if it's like on the top when they're mixing the lime and the salt together and it just is in the right place at the right time, but my family will go to war over that one chip because it is amazing. Now, what does a chip with salt on it have to do with the kingdom of God? I'm so glad that you asked. As it happens, we're going to be talking a lot about salt today. So, this morning, we are continuing in our series for the year, Thy Kingdom Come, the mission and movement of Jesus. And this is, we're seeing this as we journey through the biography of Jesus found in Matthew's gospel. And so last time that Darren spoke, he did a fantastic job of setting up the section that we're in, the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we'll be for the next several weeks. And as you recall, this section could also be titled or summarized as Life in the Kingdom. Um, also known as what it looks like to live under the rule and the reign of God. The Sermon on the Mount is all about that, life in the kingdom. And so today is our next installment of Life in the Kingdom. This is found in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. If you have a Bible or an app, you can turn there with me. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. So on the heels of the Beatitudes, this is what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Would you pray with me as we dive into the text today? Lord, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. Pray that you would be with us that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today. We pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. All right, so we have salt and we have light. These are two very familiar metaphors in a very familiar passage. And Jesus uses this to illustrate how members of his kingdom should operate in relationship to the outside world, to the places and spaces and people who have not yet sworn their allegiance and put their trust in the king. So why does Jesus use these particular metaphors? We're going to look at each of them a little bit more closely. Let's start with salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now salt is something that is in our modern day and age, I think it's something that's very commonplace. It's something you will find in most, if not every home, uh, on every table, in most restaurants, in every gas station, hardware store, grocery store, convenience store. Salt, 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 everywhere. But as I was preparing for this talk, I was at Barnes & Noble. And of course, my radar is on, right? I'm like, I've got salt on the brain for the last how many ever weeks. And I walk by a stack of books, and this book was there. It's called Salt, A World History. And I'm like, that's fascinating. So I picked it up, and as it turns out, salt has only actually been a common household commodity until, like, relatively recently. This is what the, the blurb on the back says. Until about 100 years ago, when modern geology revealed its presence, that is the presence of, or prevalence, the prevalence of salt, salt was one of the world's most sought after commodities. A substance so valuable it served as currency. Can you imagine? Salt has influenced the establishment of trade routes in cities, provoked and financed wars, secured empires, and inspired revolutions. Who knew? Who knew? So what we see here, two things. In this metaphor, there is identity and there is value. So in the time of Jesus, salt was not commonplace. Salt was precious. It was immensely valuable because it was uncommonly an uncommonly prized commodity, so much so that it did all those things that I just read. Why? Because of its identity, because of what it is and what it does. So Jesus alludes to this. Salt is innately salty. That's what it is. Another thing in the book, it said it's the only rock that we eat. Have you ever thought about that before? It's innately salty. Its flavor and its function are part of its identity. So it cannot actually lose its saltiness without becoming something else entirely. And when it loses its identity, it loses its value. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not worth anything. It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
So there's, there's lots of unique and interesting um, attributes or functions of salt that we could, we could spend a long time on. I want to focus in on one in particular, one key attribute. And this is why I think what makes it so valuable. Salt activates and enhances the flavors and the seasoning around it. Uh, I was making chili the other day. I think we have a picture. Um, <laughs> If you don't understand what this is, just Google Kevin and Chili later, later, and then you, you'll be able to appreciate it. Um, so I was working on it. I put all the ingredients together. It's bubbling in the crock pot for several hours, and I taste it, and I'm like, this still doesn't taste right. It still wasn't right. It was missing something. So I was about to like raid the spice cabinet again, and like, okay, we need more chili powder. We know more. And my wife's like, whoa, whoa, time. Why don't you try just adding some more salt? And I'm like, okay, like I feel like I like too salt, too much salt the way it is, but that's fine. Wouldn't you know? I added more salt and everything snapped in. Everything snapped into balance. It was it was perfect. It was just right after that. So what Jesus is saying in, in essence here, he's saying that in your innate identity. As members of my kingdom, you have immense value to the rest of the world. You have the potential to enhance the flavor and the richness of the places and spaces that you step into as a means of blessing and flourishing. So how do we become unsalty? Well, we become unsalty when we adopt and pursue other identities other lesser identities other than that which is ours in Christ. And when we look to those things as our markers for assurance of our well-being and our comfort, that's how we lose our saltiness. That's how we lose our ability to have kingdom impact in the world. And that's what God's design for us is. You are the salt of the earth. Let's switch to the second one. Light of the world. This is a huge theme throughout scripture. We could spend the rest of our time talking about drawing, tracing that theme from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. God says, let there be light at the end, uh, at the end of Revelation. When Jesus returns, God, it says the city has no longer any need for the sun because God is the light and he dwells with his people. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And it goes on and on and on. So Jesus is tapping into that for sure. But just like with salt, this metaphor and this theme may actually kind of lose uh, some of its impact because in our modern world, we are inundated with light. We're inundated with light. I have three lamps in my office. Three my kids have LEDs on every square inch of their personal space in our home. They're everywhere. I go to Home Depot, I get like uh, choice paralysis because you just look and it's an entire row of light bulbs. Every single different kind, 17 million different kinds of light bulbs. It's too much for me. Um, did you know that you can see New York City from space at night? 
I looked it up. You can see it from space. I think that's what they refer to as light pollution. That was not a thing in Jesus' time. That wasn't a thing. In the time of Jesus, there's basically three light sources. You have the sun, limited options there. You have fire or a torch, which is like portable fire, right? Or you have oil lamps. So a basin of oil, maybe there's a wick in there, and then and you light that, and that gives you light when the sun goes down. So light in that context would be much more rare, much more valuable, and potentially costly. So here again, we see identity, and we see value. We're being assigned identity as stewards of something that is precious, something that has extreme value when it is shared and not hidden. Lots of attributes of light that we could focus on today. We could talk about all kinds of things that light is and what it does. But the primary thing that light does is it illuminates. It illuminates. And something I've been thinking about a lot, and I think this is part of Jesus' metaphor, Darkness is not actually the equal and opposite of light. It is the absence of light. So even the smallest light still wins over darkness every time. Let me give you an example. Sometimes when I'm not feeling well or I can't sleep, I go and I sleep in our, our, the guest bed in our office. And... So I will go to sleep and I will turn over and it's dark in there, but then there's one tiny little light on the computer that stays on and it might as well be like a blinding beacon, like a spotlight just going right into my retinas. So the darker it is, the brighter the light. Here's another example. Those of you who live or are from a rural area know this well. You can't see stars to their full extent in the city. Sometimes if you're lucky, you'll see the Big Dipper, right? But when you go out to the country and you get away from the light pollution of the city and all the streetlights and spotlights and headlights, and you get out away from all that, the expanse of stars, you can see the Milky Way, it's amazing. So the darker it is, the brighter the light shines. Can you see where I'm going with this? Jesus is in essence saying, because of your identity as members of my kingdom, you have the valuable opportunity to share my light and to shine it into the darkness of a broken and chaotic world. And the darker it is, the brighter my light shines in you. So don't squander that by hiding it, by keeping it for yourself, by obscuring it with things that are less than my best. And I don't know about y'all, but when I look at the news, man, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of darkness in our world. And it's easy to look at that and to think it's too much. 
It's too big. It's too overwhelming. What could I possibly do in the face of all of that? But for us to be kingdom-minded is to see that as an opportunity because at the end of the end of the day, light wins over darkness every single time. Do y'all believe that? Light wins over darkness every time unless we sabotage ourselves and keep it hidden. We spent all of homecoming week talking about calling. Talking about what it looks like to show up on kingdom mission for Jesus in the places and the spaces that he has called us to vocationally and relationally. So what does it look like to be on mission for Jesus in business, in education, in nursing and healthcare, in academia, in athletics, in anthropology of all things? That time with Jim Yost was so great. It was so great. It was so inspiring. What does it look like to be on mission for Jesus in ministry, in your families, in marriage, in friendships, in neighborhoods and communities? This is what it means to be salt and light. And we show up, we show up in those places and spaces, not just because we have to, not because it's, well, we have to be obedient to the Great Commission. Of course we have to be obedient to the Great Commission, but why? Why? It's because at the end of the day, things are better when they're done according to God's original design. And we can enhance the flavor of his creation by being kingdom-minded, by being conduits of redemption in all of those places and spaces. But listen to me. Until we actually believe that, until we actually trust that God's way where his rule and his reign is done is actually better, our salt is going to be flavorless and our light will be hidden. So let me tell you, this, and I want you to hear me on this. This is not, I'm not talking about just behavior modification or bootstrap theology where you just like, you pull your, you, you um, just try harder. Try harder to be salty. Try harder to do a better job of, if I just try hard enough, I will shine my light brighter. That's not it. What we're talking about here is surrender. This is an ongoing theme. I feel like this has been an ongoing theme this year. Funny, when we open the word together and we're confronted by the teaching of Jesus that it's convicting to our hearts and requires something from us. This is about surrendering to Jesus the false identities and the light-obscuring baskets that we so easily cling to as a means of survival. 
It's about becoming more of what you already are in the eyes of God. So I want to ask a couple of questions as we're reflecting, as we're looking for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to really take root in our hearts. Number one, what steals your flavor? That is to say, what are the counterfeit identities that you settle for that are less than what is yours in Jesus? Pro tip, here's one way to identify what your false selves are, what your counterfeit identities are. Reflect on this. What hurts my feelings? What, do, what easily offends me? What do I get bristly and defensive about? Because that's a signal that it pokes something in my heart and that I have tied my identity, my sense of well-being to something other than Jesus. These are tough questions. Question number two, what hides your light? What's your basket? What has a tendency to cover up shining light into the darkness of this world? I'll give you a couple of examples personally. Something that I struggle with is road rage. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's something to celebrate per se, but I feel the solidarity with you. Um, it's really tough. I pulled up to an intersection and I was just like, just a little bit past the crosswalk line. My window's open. Guy turns the corner. His window's open. And as he's driving by, both of our windows are open. He's like, yeah, I should stop behind the line. I'm like, why are you so mad? But then obviously, I wanted to turn a year, you know, whip a U-turn and chase him down. What am I going to do? I mean, you know. But like just instant. And it's at that point that I have to channel uh, what my grandma always used to say when she was driving and she encountered that kind of thing. God bless you and give you wisdom. So sweet, but there's a little like, you know, like you need a blessing and you need more wisdom. So there's, a little, there's a little poke in there. God bless you and give you wisdom. Here's some other things that I think can hide our light. Hurry and busyness. When I get home and I just basically run into my house because I don't want to have to talk to anybody. I don't want to have to interact with a neighbor. Tell me if this lands. Stress and anxiety. When I'm experiencing stress and anxiety, I don't think that I am exhibiting the full shalom of God in those moments. I am not gracious with my family. I am not patient. I am not loving. I am not kind. These things hide and obscure our light. Unforgiveness and resentment. Light obscuring. These are the tough things. So as the Holy Spirit enlightens and illuminates us and convicts our hearts of those things, then we get to ask 
And we, and we approach that with humility and repentance and confession. Then we get to look at, okay, what then, empowered by the Holy Spirit, what then are the places and spaces that God is calling you to enhance the flavor of, to be the salt of the earth, to make better according to his design? What are the kingdom opportunities that he's offering to you to shine his light into just by showing up? Ministry of presence, as Jim Yost would say. I want to close today with reading Psalm 38, verse, or 34, verse 8. And I want you to receive this as a blessing and as an encouragement. And I don't know that this connection was intentional, but it just kept coming to mind for me as we're talking about salt and light, salt and light, salt and light. It says this. Oh, taste, salt, and see, light, that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Just heard about the Beatitudes. Blessed, 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 blessed. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So as we taste and we see that the Lord is the ultimate source of all that we need, and as we recognize our need for him, I really believe that we will naturally retain our identity as salt and light in a world that is desperately in need of him. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it illuminates our hearts and our lives, that it holds up a mirror to your best. We pray, Lord, that we would come to you humbly, openly, that you would realign us with your best for us, Lord, that we would be on mission for you, that we would be salt and light with the people and the places that you have called us into and that you give us all that we need to be on mission for you in this world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.